Good morning. Our passage this morning is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. On account of this, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, good morning to all of you. I want to first ask you to be silently praying for me. My, my back has kind of gone wonky for the last couple of days, so... Um, Got some meds. Hopefully it'll keep me going here. But after a little bit, I may have to ask a couple of the deacons to come hold me up. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> the little Joshua and Aaron thing there. Um, hopefully I'll be okay. But hopefully I won't, I won't turn too hard one way or the other. Because then I'll, if you see me grab the pulpit, it's not for preaching effect. It's My back has gone out. So, <clears throat> But if you would turn with me in your Bibles once again to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verse 4, Ephesians 6, 4 this morning. And we're going to talk about spirit-filled parenting. Spirit-filled parenting. Down through the long halls of history, there have been a variety of different parenting methods. They're all the way from heavy-handed legalism to, you know, let your child find their own way laziness, and then everything in between. And even in the Bible, we find a variety of different ways that people have parented. We we see loving parenting, we see lazy parenting, and we see people playing favorites. You think they're uh, Isaac and Rebecca with Jacob and Esau. 
but throughout history, parents have tended to pick the method that best suits their own interests. And there's nothing new under the sun. There still are today many, many different parenting methods out there, and many modern parents choose poorly. Even Christian parents forget that the one who created us has provided everything we need to raise our children well, just as we saw this morning in Second Peter 1. And especially Brandon referred to verse, verses 3 and 4 of that chapter. We've given, been given everything we need for life and godliness, and that includes raising our children. What do, we, what do we mean, raising our children well? Are we talking about successful Christian parenting? I have a, a book on my shelf by that title, and I always laugh when I see it, inside at least. And uh, So if you've been a parent for very long, you probably would too. What do we mean by that, though? And it, that author does mean what I'm going to be teaching here today. But um, a lot of times we think that success is measured by the quality of the end product. So if all of our kids turn out great, then then we were successful, you know, and if one or more of them don't, then we were not successful. That is not at all how the Bible measures success, especially when it regards parenting. Success is measured by your faithfulness in carrying out biblical methods. Success is measured by your faithfulness in carrying out biblical methods. Just like I was having a conversation in a discipleship meeting this week. Success in evangelism isn't getting converts. It's faithfully preaching the Word. It's faithfully telling people about Jesus. Faithfully delivering the message. And the same is here true with parenting. So to faithfully carry out those methods, you need to know them. You need to know what they are. You need to work steadily at implementing them. And you need to make course corrections along the way. And we'll talk a little bit later about course corrections for the child. But even as parents, we need course corrections. Because, you know, we're going down that path and we're raising our children. But, you know, lo and behold, children grow, which means they change. And they develop new problems and new propensities. And and so we have to keep revisiting this. And so even as parents, we need course corrections. Sometimes it's because of our own hearts. Sometimes we're doing okay, but then we get to the point where... You know, starting to cut into, you know, me time. Okay, I need a course correction to say it isn't about me time, John. It's about time for Christ and to bring them to Christ and to to keep that in mind. And so we need course corrections. But we do that all along the way until we launch the child into adulthood. Because parenting is not typically to be a lifelong venture. It, in most cases, we raise the children up to a point where they're ready to go out, and we say, go out, okay? Start your own family um, when, they are, when they've reached that maturity. What, what about those of you whose work is done, your, your kids are grown, or maybe God hasn't given you kids? <clears throat> You're not done. Well, you may be done with parenting your own children per se, but you still have work to do. You need to listen today to understand these principles because uh, even those of us who have studied them and taught them, 
we still don't get it all right. And so we all still need to understand and we all still need to learn. And so even if you're done, so to speak, you still need to listen and understand these principles and methods and then pray for the younger parents around you here in our family. Pray for them as they learn and use these. You, you sometimes wonder, oh, I just don't know what to pray. All you have to do is listen to Sunday school, listen to worship, listen or to the sermon, listen, and pray those things you're learning for the people around you. That we're a family, we're a body, and we need to be praying these for one another. And so, those of you who, you know, your your kids are grown, well, you need to pray these for the younger parents around you. Pray specifically, Lord, help them with this particular principle to carry it out. I see that they're struggling with it. Or their, their kids are little, they're just starting. Teach them these things afresh. Um, encourage them in this work. If you're a parent, there, will, there are times where you're discouraged. You need encouragement. We're a body, we're a family. Again, encourage them. Ask them, how are you doing? How, how is parenting going? You know, and, and it might be that things are going pretty well and they're all fine, you know. Then there may be times where, oh, fine, you know. And you, you read into their, their voice and you say, hmm, well, so what is fine about it, you know. Get them to open up and share with you and encourage them. Hang in there. And here's what, here's, you know, how you can be encouraged from the Word of God. And then look for ways to help them. So this is for all of us. We need each other because as we are studying in this section, biblical parenting, along with being married and all of these things, it requires wisdom. What Evan read for us started out this passage, 5.15, and it would go all the way to 6.9, to walk in wisdom. It's about walking in wisdom. These are the different ways in which we are to walk in wisdom. We need to be thinking about, I need wisdom in order to parent well. And we need to do that to walk together. This passage is a very one another, together kind of enterprise. It's not just for each one of us individually to work on on in our own little world. No, we're to do this as a family, together. We need each other. We also need power to do it. You don't have the power to do it. I don't have the power to do it. The elders don't have power to do it. We need an external source of power, which... External in the sense that it's not me. But it is internal. It's the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. 518. That's part of walking in wisdom. You can't walk in wisdom without the Holy Spirit. You need to be saved so that Christ has given you His Spirit and then need to be filled with that Spirit. And all that means is that you're depending on Him to empower you to do the things that He's calling us to do here. And so, to walk in wisdom, filled by the Spirit, you are going to be following biblical principles and methods while you maintain Christ-like character. Don't miss that part. We're going to keep hitting that. You have to do it with Christ-like character. Your parenting needs to be oriented to the Lord Jesus. And next week we'll go into more specifics about what is distinctly Christian parenting. Remember, we've been talking all along here in this section 
about being distinctly Christian in our marriages, distinctly Christian in as a husband, as a wife, as children, now as parents. And so in the next uh, week or so, we'll be going into more specifics on that. But for now, Ephesians 6.4 gives us, it lays the groundwork for us that we're going to build on. Here you are called to be wise, spirit-filled parents by orienting your parenting to the Lord. To be wise, spirit-filled parents. And wise, spirit-filled, the first part of this section, by 15 through 18, okay? By orienting your parenting to the Lord. Having examined the responsibilities of children in verses 1 through 3, we now turn our attention to the responsibilities of their parents. And what Paul does here is he puts limits on the authority of the parents, and in particular, the father. That was a radical idea in Paul's day, and I'll I'll talk about that in a minute. That was a radical idea to put limits on a parent, and especially a father's authority. So, let's read these first four verses here in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Remember, this is all keeping us oriented to Jesus, right? Why? For this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So first, and and we're only going to have two main points, but we're going to have some sub points. First, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Now, why did Paul switch from parents in verse 1, children obey your parents, to now just saying fathers specifically? Why did he make that switch? Well, as we saw earlier in the section on marriage, husbands are to to set the example for their wives to love, that agape kind of love, God's kind of love. They are to be the example for their wives. That's why wives aren't told they love your husbands. They're to learn from their husbands how to love them back and to love their children. So as the husband sets the example for agape in the home, so also the husband, the father, is to be to set an example for um, for the mothers. But this command does apply to both parents. So you ladies can't say, okay, great, I'm off the hook here. I can just sit back, put my feet up, and make sure hubby listens to everything. Okay, Not at all. This does apply to you. The command applies to you, ladies, just as well. You you moms, just as well. But he calls out fathers here because the father not only sets the example, but must lead his wife in learning and applying biblical parenting principles. So, guys, don't leave it up to her to figure all this out. I know it's tempting. You know, it's easy to do, but that's wrong. It is your job, husbands, fathers, to take the lead in the two of you learning and applying biblical parenting principles. And and for me to say in this first point, parents, don't provoke your children to anger. That, that's not a stretch to, to say parents there because this word fathers is used in, in Hebrews 11.23 for both of Moses' parents. Okay, It actually says fathers there. Okay, So it can mean parents. But I think it applies to both parents, but fathers, you have to take the lead in it. Set the example 
would also say, okay, honey, we're going to sit down and we're going to start figuring this out. Or, you know, we're right in the middle of parenting. Kids are, you know, preteens, teens, something like that. And let's sit down and see where we're at and let's work on things. Let's make it better. Let's make it more biblical. That is your job, fathers. Dad, you must be intimately involved in all aspects of parenting. Yes, mom is going to spend more time in certain areas. That's going to happen. But dads, you need to make sure that you're, even in those areas, you discuss, how's it going? You ask her, how can I provide you with help? How can I provide you with more resources? Is there something else that you need and that I need to do for you or get for you? That might be biblical resources where, okay, and there were times, you know, when we were raising our girls that... You know, we, we kind of laid the groundwork and and how we were implementing that just didn't seem to be working. You know, every kid's a little different, right? And what works for one, and you're thinking, okay, we've got this figured out. And then the next one comes along, and no, you don't, you know. And and so we kind of had to revisit. So she's like, okay, can we talk? Because we need to, how do we apply the Scripture to this child? Um, with their different propensities. So ask her. Do you work together to learn and apply biblical principles in new situations? So as your kids grow, you, you will encounter new situations all along the way. Every If you look at you know it as phases in their life, in a child's life, each one is a little different. Sometimes they're a lot different. And, and so you have to keep revisiting this. You don't sit down and you, you read Shepherding a Child's Heart and you got it for the rest of your, you know, parenting. Uh, no, that's a good start. That's why there's a whole bookcase out here, right? No, it, you have to keep learning throughout this whole process. And so, so what I'm trying to say is, fathers, it's your responsibility to see that this happens. And not, it's not your responsibility to just tell her to go do all that. That's not okay, guys. It's your responsibility to say, let's sit down and work on this together. If we need to do some biblical research, I'm going to take the lead and I'm going to do that. And and then we're going to sit down with the Bible and we're going to read what I've come across. And and we're going to read these books together and we're going to work on this together. So Paul first tells parents what not to do. Do not provoke your children to anger. In other words... This is a present tense command, so it's he's saying, don't make it a habit of provoking your children to anger. You know, make it a habit to not provoke them to anger, right? That this should be how you are all the time. Now, granted, you're a sinner, dad, mom, and there's going to be some times when you just blow it. And you say something and it provokes them to anger, and you, you have to repent of that, and he goes... You even have to go to them and say, I provoked you to anger and I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And then they have to forgive you. And then you say, okay, now let's go back to what we were working on here. And I'm going to try again and we're going to do this the right way. And we're going to address this situation. But make it a habit to not provoke them to anger. And so what Paul is doing here is he's putting a restraint on parents' authority because parents don't have the authority to behave however they want. I know, I mean, growing up, that's, that was the mindset in the whole world around us as kids that, you know, mom and dad are always right. 
And that is wrong. Okay, mom and dad are not always right. God is the only one who's always right. And so, what Paul does is he says, okay, and this is this is very countercultural from his day. Uh, for us, it kind of goes the other direction most of the time. But there is some of this. There's some parents, even Christian parents, who believe that because they're the parent, the Bible gives them the authority to do whatever they want. And that is not the that is not scriptural. That's just sin. Okay, to think that way. And so this was radical, as I said, in Paul's day. Uh, John Stott explains the picture Paul paints of fathers as self-controlled, gentle, patient educators of their children is in stark contrast to the norm of his day. You see. In the Roman world of his day, it was the law that the father, this patria potestas law, says the the father has power over the children. That meant absolute sovereignty over the children. How did that work its way out? Now, not every father back then did what I'm going to tell you here, but it was legal for them to do. So, fathers had the right, the authority, to kill their newborn. And often what they, the way they would do this is that when the, the newborn, uh, they would bring the newborn to the father and they would set the newborn on the floor in front of the father. Okay, If he picked it up, it was welcomed into the family. If he turned around and walked away, the child was discarded. And, and there was one passage I even read, an ancient um, writer said, was advising someone else. And said, okay, on your second child, if it happens to be a boy, you know, good for you. But if it's a girl, expose it. In other words, leave it out to die. Leave it out to the elements. Now, what would happen, you, you've probably heard, people would go and, and collect all the healthy babies that were left out for exposure and raise them up to be prostitutes and slaves. Does it sound at all like today? The way the attitude toward children today, you know, sometimes? The, the father, this power of the father, he could even sell his children as slaves. The state wouldn't do anything about it. They gave him the, the authority to do that. And even after being newborn, after they had grown up, a young child, he could kill the child if he, if he wanted. He was, okay, this, this child is just too much of a problem. And, and he himself, this is not like the Old Testament where it had to be a properly constituted court, if you will, of the men at the at the city gate would make sure that this was done properly and there were witnesses and so forth. This is just the father saying, I don't want this kid anymore. And even in that day, the father continued to have authority over his children even after they were grown, even after they had their own families. The father still had, under Roman law, the authority over even his adult children. That's not God's way. It's never been God's way. And so the apostle restricts the father's authority, the parent's authority. What, what, what he's doing is saying, fathers especially, but moms too, you are subject to Christ. You are subject to the word of God. You are not the ultimate authority. You do not have sovereign authority in your home. 
Not even close. You have to obey Christ and His Word. That is your authority. That is the ultimate authority in your home. And so the, the Apostle forbids you from provoking your children to anger. And the word for anger here, we saw this back in chapter 4, verse 26. This is the second word for anger, where he takes the basic word for anger, he adds the preposition to the front of it, and that intensifies the word. And so the idea here is that of being intensely provoked. It's not just that, you know, you told your child, go clean your room, and they, you know, kind of, you know, mope and, you know, and shuffle off, kind of, you know. This is where you've really pushed them to the limit by your your behavior, your own sin. There, it, this is festering within. You're tempting the child to become irritable, if you will, in in a in a uh, an intense way to be sinfully angry. So your sin is making them sinfully angry. Now, a child might become sinfully angry on their own. I mean, I don't know if that's ever happened to any of you, you know, but. When you were a child, yeah, you did, and your your, your parent, your kid, yeah, they they don't need any help there, right? But you, parent, make it a habit to avoid your sin provoking your children to anger. That's what he's talking about. See, under Roman law, you could just the father could do whatever if he just likes to, you know, yell and scream and throw things and pick you up and throw you and whatever. But that will definitely provoke children there. And, he, and he, was, he was legally allowed to do that. And Paul is saying, okay, he might be legally allowed, but God's not allowing that. And, and so he's putting these restraint, restraints. <clears throat> remember, fathers and mothers, do you remember back Ephesians 5.21, as Paul is laying out some of the groundwork here? We talked about walking in wisdom, being filled by the Spirit, being subject to one another, remember, serving one another, but then in what? In the fear of what? Dad? No, the fear of Christ. Fathers, you are under the fear of Christ. You better have fear of Christ. And your parenting has to be done under the fear of Christ. That serves for all of these relationships from both sides, the one who has authority and the one who's under authority. Do it in the fear of Christ. One thing that does help us, in the parallel passage, when Paul wrote Colossians, it was written about the same time. He covers a lot of the same ground, but he says it differently. And this is helpful. In Colossians 3.21, he forbids fathers, do not exasperate your children that they might not lose heart. That word exasperate means to make them resentful, bitter. Okay? That's what he's talking about here. That Your sin... Especially when it goes on. Sometimes it can be a one-off, but typically it's more kind of your habit. Can tempt them to become sinfully angry. What parenting traits tend to provoke and exasperate? I've got a long list here, so you'll just have to hang in here with me. Um, I got these from the Dr. Honer, John Stott, John MacArthur, and then some of my own in here. So, <clears throat> nagging. Demeaning. And parents... Watch for yourself in these. Verbal and physical abuse. Harsh, cruel, or unkind treatment. Lack of gentleness. Arbitrary discipline. What do I mean by that? It's where you let the kids slide and they keep sinning, 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 and then you finally blow up and just let them have it. That's sin. Okay? And, and that, will, that, that will work horrible things in that child's life. 
arbitrary discipline. Or sometimes it's wrong, but sometimes it's not. Um, it's kind of like, you may have done this. I know um, that was popular when we started parenting is, you know, counting to three before the child got in trouble. What you're saying is you have the right to disobey until I get to three. That's what that means. Now, if you've done that, okay, you just, okay realize, okay, that wasn't good. And don't, so don't tell other people to do that. You know, we would count, but it was how many swats you were getting. So, you know, and, and that worked pretty well, you know, it's like, so, uh, but they knew what we were doing. It was a little bit tongue in cheek, but because they knew how some parents were, but so arbitrary discipline, harsh discipline, vindictiveness. And we're going to talk about discipline uh, in a, a message later about what does the Bible say about discipline? Uh, vindictiveness, favoritism. Remember we mentioned Isaac and Rebecca. Uh, overprotection, overly restrictive, crushing the child's spirit, using ridicule or sarcasm as punishment, manipulation, guilt trips. Um, humiliation, misusing your authority by, by going beyond what God allows. Again, remember, your authority is restricted. Making unreasonable demands. So due to the age of the child, their mental or physical development, their lack of training and experience. So sometimes, you know, we think that, oh, I'm going to push them. I'm like, well, they're not old enough for that. Or I haven't even taught them that yet, you know. Holding their failures over their heads. Folks, we've taught a million times about how you deal with sin. And this is not a failure. Maybe, you know, they they got their school work wrong or something like that, right? But a, real, but a sin, something that's actual sin, the way you deal with it is you point it out to the child. That's what Jesus said. You go to your brother and say, you sinned. And their response should be, you're right. I sinned by, whatever, fill in the blank. Will you forgive me? And then you need to carry out God's kind of forgiveness, which is you forgive them, and then it's over with. You've wiped the slate clean. Okay, You don't hold this over the child's head. Oh, do you remember when you did this? Oh, do you remember? But even with failures that are not sin per se, you know, you always miss that pitch, you know, and you embarrass me. And no, I mean, don't don't hold these things over their heads. Not allowing them to earn your trust, pushing too hard for achievement. You'll watch movies and stuff, and you'll, you'll see. And there have been people who really believe this and practice this. Ah, oh, just pushing. I want them to be the best, and so I, you know, no, it's not biblical. Giving the impression that there's no pleasing you. In other words, you, you rarely acknowledge good, if at all. Lack of approval, appreciation, or encouragement. Using love as a reward. And what I mean by lack of lack of approval and all that. I don't mean like that one time you missed. I'm talking about you just don't do that. You're just always focused on what they did wrong. And you never... You know, in reality, if you're... And you should point out the things they do wrong and deal with those. But you better be looking for as many good things. And there are good things. That you can find. You say, well, you, you do this well. You know, I'm, I'm proud of you in this. And this is great. And God, you know, this is what God says you should do. And you're doing that. And be faithful to do that. 
using love as a reward. Love is, it should be, agape is unconditional. It's not like, God doesn't do that to you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, he doesn't say, well, you know, you were bad today, so I don't love you today, and I'm just turning my back on you. God does not work that way. Now, he might discipline you, but he never turns his back on you and says, you know, I I don't want anything to do with you right now. I don't love you. That'll never happen, and you as a parent should never do that. Withholding love as a punishment, giving the impression that you never sin or fail. In other words, something like, well, when I was your age, I never. Well, maybe on that, for that particular thing, you, you know, maybe you did that pretty well. But have you ever shared with them that, but I get what you're struggling with, son, because that, that's, that, I got that pretty well right. But let me tell you about this other thing. I blew it over and over again and, you know, it seemed like I was constantly being disciplined because I just couldn't. Are you humble and honest? But sometimes we want to give our kids the impression that we never did anything wrong when we were children, and that's wrong. Those kind of things are going to tempt your child towards sinful anger, to be exasperated, to become resentful, bitter. Um, and we ought to not have those. In our parenting. And, and when they happen, repent and ask, ask the child for forgiveness. If you sinned against them, you need to ask. I mean, that is one of the best gospel things you could ever do, is to confess your sin to your child. It freaks them out. It's, it's great as a parent, you know. I mean, I hate admit, admitting, you know, that I sinned against them. But, you know, they, they were always like kind of creeped out by that. And, you know, and say, will you forgive me? Uh-huh, you know. <laughs> and, uh... He's like, you know, am I get in trouble if I don't, you know. But what you're saying is, I'm a sinner just like you. And if God can save me, He can save you. That's the, the, the message. It's not that, oh, I wish you could be like I was as a child. And obviously your memory's not very good. Right? Be humble. Calvin wisely explained, Kind and liberal treatment keeps children in reverence for their parents and increases the readiness and cheerfulness of their obedience. And in the contrast, while a hard and unkind severity rouses them, the child, to obstinacy and destroys their dutifulness. That's good. Okay, so that was our first main point. Don't provoke your children to anger. Make a habit of not doing that. Second, Instead, nurture them following three biblical concepts. Nurture them following three biblical concepts. Again, verse 4. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, strong contrast, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, now he gives the positive command. So the negative command, don't do that. Positive command, do this. And, and as I said, this is a strong contrast. Godly parenting should be a stark contrast to the world's parenting. And sadly, it should be a stark contrast to a lot of Christian parenting out there. There's a lot that's messed up out there in Christendom with parenting methods and things like that. It should be a stark contrast. Biblical parenting should, should stand out from all of those. It should have a totally different character. This phrase, to bring them up, means to nurture them. We saw that word back in Ephesians 5.29, talking to husbands there. Husbands, you know how you nurture your own body? You know how you, you look out for it? 
you protect it, you coddle it. Okay, I want you to love your wife that way. And he's saying, here, fathers, I want you to nurture your children. I want you to have that same kind of nurturing toward your children. Fathers, see to it that you and your wife nurture your children in God's ways. This nurturing is the full-orbed parenting. It's all-encompassing. That's what's involved in raising a child. This word nurture is like it's taking all of that. And we're going to talk about a little bit of it today, and then we'll in subsequent weeks get into to more specifics and some applications. But this is how you raise a child. You nurture them. Calvin brought out the tenderness of this nurturing He translated it this way, let them be kindly cherished. Let the children be kindly cherished. And it's really good. You see, that's what he's bringing out here, using this word. You know, he's not just saying, you know, instruct them and, you know, and then discipline them. You know, no, you nurture them. There is to be this kindness in it, this gentleness in it. So what does that look like? Well, Paul here gives us three guiding concepts to... To direct our parenting. First, spirit-filled parenting is oriented to the Lord Jesus. Again, as he says, fathers don't provoke, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, again, just like in all of these relationships, he keeps orienting everything to Jesus. And the Lord in Ephesians refers to Jesus. He's saying, okay, fathers, see to it that you and moms are oriented to Jesus in this. In your parenting. Jesus is our orientation. He is the source for our power, for guidance, for our methods, for our rules. And that's why he keeps hammering on this orientation to Jesus throughout this whole passage. That's the key to all of our relationships is Jesus. And orienting everything to Jesus. To do it his way, in his character, according to his instructions. And so this idea about these two things, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, there's this idea of that which is prescribed by the Lord, but it's a little broader than that. So we're talking about you're doing your parenting in this in this sphere of Jesus, if you will, in, in the way what He has defined, and you're doing your work within that, according to these principles that He's laid out. In other words, it's all oriented to Him. You see, he doesn't, he doesn't say, okay, you know, I, I want you to, to love your children and, and I want you to raise them, you know, and then go figure out how to do that. You know, go out there to psychology, pop psychology or whatever, and, 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 and you see if they figured it out and, you know, look at sociology. How did they figure it? You know, what, no. You go to the Lord. You, you go to His Word to know how to do that. And He's given us everything we need for that. The second concept we have to keep in mind is that spirit-filled parenting is training. That's the essence of it. It's training. So this whole work of nurturing, the raising up of a child, is training. And in the NAS here, it has uh, calls it discipline. This Greek word, paideia, referred to raising a child, uh, built off of the word for child. It's for educating them, training them. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this Greek word was used uh, for instruction using a body of knowledge. So, Proverbs 1.8, for example, Solomon says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. 
And so what he's saying there is there's this body of information that I'm giving you, which, you know, we have as the book of Proverbs. And hear my instruction, this body of knowledge, hear it, obey it, learn it, do it. And it could also be used for corrective training. Jeremiah 2.30, God laments that, that Israel as a nation just wouldn't learn from His discipline. And they, they weren't willing to be trained by Him, corrected by Him. Looking at its use in the New Testament, we find it used for training. So, 2 Timothy 3.16, the Word of God is useful for what? One of the things, training in, you remember? Righteousness. But it's training, Okay. And so training to, to learn how to be righteous, how to live righteously. That training includes correction. So think Hebrews 12, verses 5 through 11, where we talk about God as our Father and He loves us. And He is not, it's not just correcting us, but that is a key part of it. But it's training. He's training us and that includes correction. So basically this word means this. It is training through instruction and correction. So we get all of that in there. It's training through instruction and correction. So if you want one word for that, I think the best word is training in this context. A third concept we have to keep in mind as parents Spirit-filled parenting requires regular feedback. It requires regular feedback. Here, the word instruction, so NAS, discipline and instruction of the Lord. This word, the Greek word is nuthesia. You might recognize it, those of you into biblical counseling, or nuthetic counseling, right? Uh, these words are related. Nuthesia comes from two words. One meaning new or nous meaning mind and tithemi the verb meaning to place so literally it means to place in the mind okay and so that's what you're doing when you're admonishing when you're doing this with your child is you're placing in the mind or uh, as dr honer suggests to exert influence on the mind that's a part of what we're doing a bit a key part of what we're doing as parents is are trying to exert an influence, not coercing per se, but teaching them and convincing them that this is God's way. This is the way to, to walk. This word, nuthesia, can refer to encouragement, counsel, so think nuthetic, right? Nuthetic counseling, correction, instruction, and warning. So it can be any and all of that. And, and so, you know, if you want one word for this, in this passage, I would say admonition. But a lot of times when we think about, well, pray for me, I need to admonish someone. We think, correct them, right? And, and call them to repent, basically. That's what we think when we think admonishment. But the term isn't limited to that. It does sometimes, like Titus 3.10, refer to warning them. But it can be encouragement as well or positive instruction. <clears throat> and so, basically, it's admonition, but it's but in parenting, admonition isn't just correction. Sometimes it, it involves negative feedback. And so, that's why in the, the, the point there, point C, I said spirit-filled parenting requires regular feedback. So, I'm putting that word in there, feedback, because it, it picks up all of that concept. The negative feedback first, which is designed to bring course correction. 
Okay, that's where you, you bring in chastisement, where you bring in reminding them of what they've been taught, reminding them of what God's Word says. Uh, further explanation. Maybe they need some you to sit down with them and explain this more because they're not getting it. They haven't understood it yet. And so, and they're not just being rebellious. Sometimes it's reemphasizing wisdom principles. So you're taking them back to Proverbs and say, okay, remember what Solomon said here. But in addition to negative feedback, sometimes this admonition is positive feedback. Okay, so you might need to encourage them, counsel them, instruct them. And, and all from a positive standpoint. So sometimes this, that's what this admonition includes. And, and again, we're going to get into that starting next week and talk more uh, specifics. But to, to think of this not just as correction. It does involve correction, yes, a lot. But there's the positive side to it, too. And you, you should see your parenting this way with like in the slide where you've got both the negative and the positive feedback. They need the negative feedback and say, okay, now you sinned there. You got that wrong. And here's how you should do it. Let's try that again. But they need the positive where you're sitting down with them and you're encouraging them. I, I know, daughter, th- this is hard. And I get that you're struggling. But I want to encourage you to hang in there, keep working on this, keep praying for the Lord to help you with this. Keep asking when you need help. And I want to try to remind you and encourage you. See, that is admonition as well. So, fathers, see that you and your wife nurture your children. See that you do that using the Lord's training. Remember, you're developing the children. You're, you're developing them so that they get, they have the maturity, they develop the maturity... So that one day you get to launch them out into the world to have their own family, typically. Also, make sure that you and your wife are nurturing them using the Lord's admonition. These positive and negative types of feedback that we've talked about. Okay. See to it, dads. That's your job to see that this happens. Set the example, but lead in it. Lead your wife and y'all doing that. You see, this is very different from the world, where the world sometimes will will go all the way one side and you know will never say anything negative to the child. But that's not biblical and that's not healthy. But then there's also that that other extreme where it's like you know we're never saying anything positive. It's like well you're supposed to just be doing your job and this is what you're told to do and you know I don't need to encourage you. That's not biblical either. Biblical parenting. Looks to the Lord Jesus. I mean, just one helpful thing, parents, is just think, how does Jesus deal with me? And and glean from that. You know? And if you understand Jesus right and how he deals with his people, that'll go a long way to helping you have the right mindset in raising your children. Your work as parents must be thoroughly Christ-centered. Thoroughly Christ-centered. And it must be Spirit-filled. That means you depend on the power of the Spirit. Parents, we've just kind of scratched the surface, although that, that long 
list of the bad things, right? The provoking things. Uh, that that may have been, oh man, I, I saw me all over that. I don't always do that, but boy, I sure am tempted to an awful lot. And And, and as we get further into this, you should come to the place where you say, I'm not up to that. I'm not up to that. Now, that doesn't let you off the hook. It just means you have to go and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. You have to pray, Father, Lord Jesus, this is hard. I blow it. I need your power to do this and to do it well. Parenting's not easy. If you think it's easy, you're definitely not doing it right. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the wisdom of Christ. And you see, you know, guys, I said this before, kind of just a little cute, catchy thing, but you being the head of your home, it's not about you getting your way, guys. It is not that. It's about you seeing to it that Jesus gets his way in your home. You see what I did there? It's all about Christ. That, I mean, I got that from Paul. He didn't say it that, you know, cutesy way like that, but hopefully it sticks with you. Dad, your job is to see to it that Jesus gets his way in your home. Your parenting has to be oriented to Jesus. He is the Lord. He's the Lord of the church. He's the Lord of your home. He's the Lord of your children, your marriage, all of it. You have to do it his way. In the power of His Spirit. Well, as we think a little bit here about correction, discipline, chastisement, my mind went to Isaiah 53, 5, where just part of that verse, the prophet says, The chastening for our well-being, our shalom, fell upon Him. Who's He talking about? Jesus. Yeah. The chastening for our well-being, our shalom, fell upon Jesus. And this is what I want us to meditate on at the Lord's table. Two thoughts. And this is about Jesus. The one who needed no correction was chastened for our disobedience. He took the penalty for us. We all deserved that eternal penalty that Jesus took it for us, for all those who trust in Him. The one who needed no correction was chastened for our disobedience. And then this, the one who never did wrong was chastened to make us right with God. Isn't that beautiful? The one who never did wrong was chastened so that He could make us right with God. That's Isaiah 53, a beautiful passage. So I hope that we all meditate on that.